You're listening to Founders On Air with Steve Orenstein and Mike Rosenbaum. This podcast is sponsored by Zoom to You, Australia's on-demand courier marketplace. Get your parcels delivered within hours rather than days. Today we have with us Alex Simpson, co-founder at HirePay, joining us on Founders On Air. HirePay is an Australian buy now, pay later platform for the recruitment and B2B sector. Alex, welcome to the program. Thank you, Michael. Appreciate it. Great, great being on board. So, um, Alex, before we kick in, kick in and talk a bit about your business, what do you do when, you, when you're not busy running higher pay? So it's been, it's been a real big mixture in terms of spiritual and entrepreneurial growth. So I'm originally from South Africa and moved to the US about two years ago. So it's been a continual and very blessing journey to come across here, being very humbling, especially when you go to a new environment. So been really constantly surrounding myself around people that I can learn from, indulging myself around you know, growth from like a spiritual perspective. I love sports. I love outdoor things. Originally from South Africa, I loved rugby growing up. And yeah, just giving all my time to people I respect a lot, love a lot. And then doing any other initiatives where there isn't necessarily like an outcome, but just helping people, whether it be people I can mentor, advise, or people that are in a less fortunate position to myself. Yeah, those are the areas I probably put a lot of focus besides in business. Amazing. And so you mentioned you, you grew up in South Africa, you're currently living in LA and you're running an Australian business. You know, tell us a little bit about that, that journey. Weird mix. Yeah, I know. It, so I've got a lot of relationships back in, in Australia because of South African roots and the culture is very similar, which has been great, like in terms of the dealings and just like general work ethic is great and the values of, from Australia. So I had a lot of good foundations in relationships and also looking into how progressive the Australian market is in terms of like payments and other technologies. It was just a very fortuitous encounter to start this idea and to focus on launching it in an environment that's a lot more open and susceptible to enjoying different payment methods. And I think Afterpay did such an amazing job on a local and a global scale to kind of pave the way for this buy now, pay later space. So it just seemed to be very fitting to have it as our starting base and then grow it into other markets like America and the UK where we focus now. Amazing. So tell us a bit about HirePay. Perfect. So it started off actually with the desire to get into like the employment market and how people actually get employment like a lot more efficiently. And coming from like a very strong fintech back, like fintech and payment background, it kind of made sense when looking at the different you know, deferred payment options and then applying it to a B2B sector, like a sector that's where a lot of my background has been is B2B. And then also just hearing a lot of just use cases and needs around recruiters, but also paying the high recruitment fees. So that kind of was a great combination that my partner and I looked at. And yeah, we just progressed from there. So it's, yeah, it was a, it was a really good finding, but I've had a, I've got great co-founders and yeah, it's been a good journey just to to build up in that segment, but there's a lot more we need to do. Makes a lot of sense. And we'll, we'll hear a bit more about it throughout the program. But how did you get into Buy Now, Pay Later Space? Yeah, and, and tell us a bit more about what you were doing previously. Sure. So my, my background's always been in the payment sector and in finance. From a personal perspective, I've always come from like a place of scarcity as I didn't grow up with much wealth, although I grew up around a lot of wealth. So I think from a young age, I've always been very insecure around not having enough or not having a family that can't provide enough or, you know, having like, you know, very small measures, but always being able to provide. 
so I was very fortunate. I had a very like loving, loving for like family. My mom was always very supportive to see me through. But that like drove me to like really become more focused in the financial space and just drew a passion. So I think just looking at all the different trends and having a lot of relationships in Australia, seeing how Afterpay and the whole buy now, pay later space did so well. And also coming from South Africa where lay buys in the kind of like the poor, a poor market space were so helpful to people to pay for like certain things. That was a great motivation to getting in this, to getting into this sector. So yeah, it's been a personal and a, both a business combination of, of various things, but yeah, that's what led to where we are now. Yeah, cool. And do you think if like Afterpay wasn't as as successful as it was or is, there wouldn't be as many people going into this space? Or do you think that's sort of led or do you think there's just been a general sort of change in consumer sort of buying habits? I do think it's it's a general change. I think that we can we can lay testament to this pandemic, which showed how people need to become more financially vigilant and efficient themselves. There were Afterpay did a great way in terms of paving the future of this the space although there's also great companies like Klarna and Afterpay and a firm I mean that have also done well but I think that there's just consumers in general and of course businesses as in business owners they're becoming more sort of like financially savvy in terms of the products they have in terms of their banking relationship in terms of what they need and also besides cash flow being such a like a scarce and needed commodity and the management of it also time is very very valuable so that the time value of money come increasingly efficient, I think just people are becoming more vigilant around it. So, yeah, it was a natural, natural wave, I think. And do you think it's got anything to do with like banks just being so slow and, and old school and not thinking about new products? I don't want to say it's, it's them being like, <laughs> like too slow. I think it's just people having the eagerness and desire to get out there and, and build on these opportunities. Yeah. I do see there's, there's so much synergy with these type of businesses and banks alike. Because there's nothing that can really replace that traditional relationship and trust that a user has with their bank. It's it's so foundational. So I think a lot of these businesses layered here, if they work alongside financial institutions, there's such a good a good respect needed for tradition and that credibility alongside all this progressive fintech um, yeah, okay. play. So yeah, I think there's a good merge. Yeah, cool. And how did you go about sort of raising funding to from a lending point of view to lending to the customers, uh, but also just for for you as as a business? So a lot of like our co-founders were we were all very entrepreneurial in our own sense. So we knew kind of like the lean methodology of you know finding a model, assessing the need within clients, you know of course working with their existing network to to kind of float the idea, get a concept out there, and speak to people that are professionals in this space. So it was just an addition of actually going out to market, attaining a need, and then going back to our network to say, we've got something here, we're ready to go, and also going to people that actually like the space. So I think strategically approaching investors and people of that nature, that was extremely helpful, just being more strategic and patient, I think. Yeah, okay. And so was that uh, getting funding from like high net worths, essentially? Essentially, yeah, it was. It was our immediate network that knew and trusted us, that backed us as individuals. So as we scale, we can leverage off that initial belief in that funding round to like to go into different types of funders from VCs, corporates, etc. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And and then the funding used to to essentially do the landing. How did you do, go about doing that? Is that the same sort of people? So it was a hybrid between our own funding and external funding partners. Okay. So it's very dependent on the regions that we work work in, and you know different regulations needed. So for instance, in certain states. 
in the USA, you know, we need a certain license to operate, whether it be from like a factoring perspective or just an installment perspective. So we we strategically align with the right sort of capital partners that are that sort of like very interested in targeting a certain region per se. So yeah, it's definitely a hybrid, but we've taken on a lot of risk ourselves as we grow. Yeah, okay. Okay. Yeah, cool. And do you think the the whole buy now, pay now, pay later is something to stay or is do you think this is just a fad? Yeah, what what are your what are your thoughts? I think it's definitely going to stay for a while. I don't. I definitely don't think it's a fad. I think as consumers are becoming more and more intelligent and are actually open to different options, I think it's only going to grow from here on here, here on the end. And look at businesses like Afterpay; they're getting so innovative in terms of their channels that they partner with, in terms of their products, and they. I think customer service is key. But, you know, they're a particular B two C company, so it, it takes different angles. But I definitely think the concept of buying later is here to stay, especially. In terms of its, you know, ease of use, you know, not necessarily affecting their credit upfront. In terms of the processing, so yeah, I definitely think there's good, good merit ahead. And and I guess that younger generation, do you think, is just going to, you know, no longer be, be wanting to get that credit card to buy that next thing? They'll just be using the the buy now pay later. Potentially, I think it, it's very dependent on the actual purchase themselves. I think it also depends on people's experiences. So of course, some people went into, you know, a buy now later transaction, and you know, whether the transaction, they like may have forgotten it and then they incurred late fees, et cetera. I think it's very dependent on the experience. Yeah, okay. But I do think it's, yeah, it's a very open, It's such, there's so many different views depending on the product, where the person is at. But I think deferred cash is, yeah, is a very, like, very valuable asset to, or tool to use. This podcast is sponsored by Parkhound, Australia's parking marketplace. To find a convenient parking space near your home or office, Alex, so, I mean, buy now, pay later feels even more relevant for businesses. You know, traditionally, big users of, of credit and, and cash flow can be quite choppy uh, in business. So, I mean, I guess what makes buy now, pay later better than, you know, traditional credit facilities, you know, overdraft, credit card, trade finance options for businesses? So, essentially, it's, it's seen as a payment product rather than, you know, a normal financing product. Essentially, it's much more easy and convenient where like a user can just go up, sign up and just pay. For instance, I wouldn't need to go through an extensive application process. And also the main structure of, for the product is that the vendor actually takes on the fee so that the client pays nothing. Or So it can be, it can be actually managed accordingly as opposed to a credit that's actually very fixed, you know, with certain payment periods. A person can actually kind of manage every transaction from an installment perspective efficiently. And that's kind of where... We've seen the main differences, but there's, yeah, I think from like the, the actual onboarding and then removing the shopper's initial hesitation, you know, less you know, risk on the actual credit card initially. And then, yeah, just increasing overall sales, depending on how the tool is used, it can actually be used as a really good business acquisition tool to make it easier to sell. So, yeah, I, I think those are some of the features, but it's, it's very dependent on use case. Interesting. So let's talk a bit about the recruitment sector. I guess recruit the word recruiter brings up um, all types of different uh, emotions for different people, you know, some positive, some not so positive. I guess, you know, the key thing is a cost, right? And I guess most businesses and founders would love to use recruiters to help them leverage their time and expertise to hire the right people, but it is quite costly and, and that, that feels like a bit of a sting. So I guess what you're providing in some ways is kind of deferring that or, or sort of 
evening out the the cash flow, you know, impact of of using a recruiter. So, what, what are you hearing from businesses who are using um, your service? So it's been it's been great because we went to market thinking that we would hear only one sort of feedback around how good it is for cash flow, but just in terms of how it's helped recruiters actually grow their business, how it's helped them attract and retain certain customers, especially after a, a pandemic like this or during it, the cash flow is so stringent. Um, and also in terms of the flexibility of our payment model is has been really well received in terms of how it can be sort of like deferred for the clients or the cost can be managed and the processing. So overall, we've had exceptional feedback in terms of the value that's created both from a person getting the job that they want to the recruiter getting paid up front and to the end clients being able to defer their payments and not worry about that upfront fee. So especially small to medium-sized businesses or entrepreneurial businesses that are looking to hire good talent, sometimes initially funding is a big issue in terms of cash flow on hand. But if they can have that chance to defer fee payments to get the good talent in, especially like a VP of sales, that will compensate from like an opportunity cost perspective to help them scale and have that kind of catalyst in the beginning compensate for that fee if that makes sense instead of it going up front so yeah it's been a great tool and we just hope to keep adding value in the sector yeah it makes makes sense i mean that that f- recruitment fee is always uh, painful to always having to pay pay that up front so i think that's uh it's a nice way of being able to spread that over a number of months yeah 100%. Uh, and, and I noticed that you're now sort of offering sort of like an invoice factoring service uh, for higher pay. Is, is there other services that you're looking to offer to, to businesses and sort of what sort of uptake you're seeing and, and the types of use cases? So I think now that we're looking to work with a lot more financial institutions, we're learning about particular products for certain channels that we're exploring. So whether it be from a, like a credit product perspective or offering it alongside certain packages in different you know fears, like an accounting package, we're becoming more dynamic in terms of our modeling but definitely the factoring side and then the actual installment product have been well received as our primary products but we're innovating wherever we can and we're really open to an array of partnerships whether it be from erp systems to banking channels those are a lot of the things we're exploring between the uk australia and the usa yeah cool and so from a like the types of companies that are using this it this type of service is it like sort of medium size or can an early stage startup use something like this so it definitely ranges between an early stage startup to a medium-sized company some larger companies have adopted the solution although it adds most values around the small to medium-sized companies because mm-hmm. of their size and the amount of funding that they have in place so yeah that's definitely a key area that's getting value from the deferred cash flow yeah, cool. And how long for a, like a company to apply for something like this and get it set up and then get the cash in the bank? Like, and how does that process sort of work? Sure. So the onboarding process, both from a, a business perspective and a, a service provider perspective, can happen within about two to three hours, the actual onboarding. They can process transactions once they've been approved by our, our internal processes. And post that, the funding can actually be received within 24 hours it's pretty instant but we do we do like to say just 24 hours to manage expectations um and if and that it's as easy as that we've made it as simple as possible yeah that's really been our goal is just to keep refining the tech and the processing and the onboarding as much as possible yeah cool so what other innovative sort of credit or financing options are you seeing out there whether it's buy now pay later or other other options for for fast-growing businesses and startups that our audience of founders may be interested to, to learn about? 
so there's certainly such a big range of industries and, and the market is so big, which is great. So there's, it's left so much opportunity for like different payment and buy now, pay later solutions and fintechs to work together to add as much value in this market, whether it be together or in their own channels. Um, I mean, I've seen some businesses that are helping like the pet industry and pet recovery in America called scratch pay, where a person has like a very big emergency for their pet. And instead of paying all those pet fees up front, they can defer the payment. I've seen some businesses in the travel industry where you know, people are plan like a whole deluxe holiday with the package of the you know the hotel for the family. And that upfront fee in order to defer that package is also pretty cool. So I've seen a lot of areas where it just gives people access, the ability to hire more, the ability to travel more, the ability to you know help a loved one that needs hospital fees or a dog. So yeah, I think like the, the other side of it from the value it creates, especially from a time perspective, is amazing. So yeah, it's been great, it's been great to see this industry grow. And I just hope we can keep working together to, you know, add value in this as payment flows like grow. Yeah, cool. And w- where do you see the sector going? Where, where do you see buy now, pay later going for, for you know, in, specifically in your space and the business space over the coming years? So I think in the B two B sector, there's a lot of there's a lot of opportunities around helping companies with their traditional finance between between other companies whether it be for products they're purchasing or services they're purchasing that lump sum fee initially for different types of products or services can add a lot of value for instance like app development property space like recruitment space as we've seen consulting fees so i think it's going to become more commonly placed and i think a lot of financial institutions are going to see how valuable it is and i think they'll hopefully start acting on it, whether it be through their own product development or through partnering with other fintechs. I definitely yeah, see the space growing as a whole. And I definitely see a lot of non-traditional businesses that aren't in offering payment solutions, but they may be offering ancillary services, whether it be billing or you know different types of card issuers. I think they will start to see when they've got a good relationship with their customer, if they can offer other solutions. So I think naturally this buy now, pay later like sort of trend or this key will will grow in random sectors as well. Thanks for joining us today, Alec. I know you've stepped away from your Thanksgiving uh, dinner there in the US. So very kind of you. Um, so one last question before we let you go um, back to the dinner table. What's yeah. what's Higher Pay's big vision? Where where do you see the business headed in the next five or so years? So I certainly see a lot of opportunity around scaling in the growth markets that we position ourselves in Australia the UK, even South Africa and in America. I think we're now seeing a lot of businesses that are approaching us to use the business, which we're actually changing the name called to BizPay for our more agnostic product. So they'll start seeing that the value that they got from using a recruit and paying over a period of time, now they can use for their other payments. So I think our payment product becoming a more B2B agnostic tool, that's what we're looking to to focus on and scale in various sectors. All the best with higher pay, or should I call it biz pay? And uh, we look forward to watching your ongoing success. And thanks again for joining us today, Alex, on uh, Founders Mark, on Air. Awesome. Thanks, Alex. Mark, Steve, thank you so much, guys. Great Pleasure. speaking to you. You too. You too. You've been listening to Founders on Air with Steve Orenstein and Mike Rosenbaum, a podcast designed for founders by founders to help you scale your business. For show notes and to ask questions for future episodes, go to foundersonair.com. Thanks for listening and don't forget to subscribe.
We'll see you next time.